Welcome, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is another Arab Shabbat broadcast for B'nai Shalom, the Internet congregation. We're glad that you joined us for this Sabbath. Let me give a, a couple of quick announcements, and then we'll get right to our service. Um, the, psycho, the Torah teaching cycle that we're doing this year is I'm giving Ephraim an opportunity to teach the full portion and so he's going to be the main teacher for each of our Arab Shabbat services and so forth. And for those of you who just cannot stand to not have Monty teaching something on a weekly basis, I've started a new project uh, of teaching the book of Isaiah, Insights uh, into Isaiah. And that broadcast is on Shabbat day at 8 o'clock in the morning. So tune in for the Arab Shabbat broadcast, tune in on Sabbath to enjoy a teaching on Isaiah. Um, also, I want to remind everybody, as we're approaching December, we have a Hanukkah conference scheduled uh, here in Oklahoma, and it's in early December this year. You certainly would like, I would love to have you come and be a part of it. Registration is at HanukkahEvent.com, Hanukkah spelled with two Ks. HanukkahEvent.com. You can register for that. Come and be part of that short conference that we're going to have during Hanukkah season. All right, without any further ado, uh, let's begin our service with Kiddush. Shalom. We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now the Kiddush, the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGafen Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Chamotzi, the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadunai Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and bless you and thank you for the wonderful wives that you've given to us in our homes. Father, I thank you for the wonderful wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she takes care of our children, as she teaches and educates them, and as she takes care of the home and me. Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart, and I pray that you would pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. I love her and thank you for the unmerited favor and grace that you have given me, Lord, through her. So I thank you, Lord, on this Shabbat, and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Adonai Hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha, Ba'elim Adonai. Micha Mocha, Nedahar Ba'chodesh. Nohorat Echilot. Oh, Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. 
Veshramu Vene Israel at Hashabat, La Sot at Hashabat, Ladrotam, Barit Olam, Bene of Ayom, Bene Israel, Othit Leolam, Keshashet Yamim, Asadonai, Et Hashmaim, Vet Haaret, Vayom Hashavi, Shabbat, Vainafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha, uv'chol meodecha. Veheyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha hayom alevavcha. V'shinan tam lavanecha. Vedepardabam beshiftacha, beyetacha, uvlechtacha, vederech ushakbika, uvkumika, ukeshatam la ota yadecha, vaheu la totavolt bin necha, uketatama mazuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Yeah. 
Lazy bitch jobs Your old men Dream dreams I'll pour out my spirit My servants Will prophesy I'll show wonders in the heavens And signs in the earth below Yes, in that day
your praise. Hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. From everlasting all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. From everlasting all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Great.
Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, where our portion, Lech Lecha, will begin, and the story of Abraham. As you open the scripture, as always, let me do the blessing before the Torah. 
Baruch Atarunai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachrabanu Mikol HaAmim Venatan Lanu Etorato Baruch Atarunai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Torah. Amen. Our portion here begins in Genesis chapter 12 and has quite a few chapters uh, to cover that goes all the way through chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. This is one of my favorite Torah portions as we now begin the story of our father, the patriarch Abraham. Um, the last two portions, uh, Bereshit and Noah, those portions are really primers for life, to basically get us here to this point where now the scripture will now spend a great deal of time talking about Abraham, his sons, continuing all the way through the stories of the rest of the Torah. The first covenants that were made, the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, and the stories that we've studied in the last couple of weeks, are really covenants to me that speak to the moral core of humanity, that speaks to the soul and the life that we have been given. The covenant made with Noah after the ark, after the destruction and the flood, was really made with heaven and with earth and with all of life and that one shall not shed another man's life. And really that speaks to the core of humanity and life in general. As we get into Abraham, God is now going to reveal his covenant with man through our father Abraham. And the covenant here that God gives speaks more to the very identity of who we are on an individual level, on an individual basis, and speaks and ministers to us not only our physical body, but spiritually as well, who we are and our relationship with God. This covenant is made so that all the people of the earth shall be blessed. In here, with the covenant of Abraham, begins, in my mind, the true story of Torah, the lesson that we are to learn of Torah, the law, the covenant, the commandments that God gives to us, and also the good news, the gospel, begins here with Abraham. Just a little backstory here on Abraham. His name was not always Abraham. In fact, when we're first introduced to him, his name is Abram. And he comes from his father Terah in the last couple of verses of last week's portion at the end of chapter 11. Talks about Terah, how he was, he came up out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and then dwelt in a place called Haran, which we believe is actually more modern day Syria, north of Damascus, that kind of area there. And then then we have the story of Abram being told by God, God speaks to Abram and says, you are now to go and go forth. Go into the land of Canaan and I will lead you to this place. And that's the name of our portion, Lechatha, which means go forth or get yourself and go. Let me read here at the very beginning of Genesis chapter 12 and let's speak to this very first uh, dialogue between God speaking to Abram and commanding him to go forth. And this begins the covenant that God makes with Abram. It says this, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen and amen. Looking forward to the, the future. And, and this covenant that's being made here is not just with Abraham alone, but with his descendants, those after him. And that the, the whole goal of this message that God is giving to him is to all of the earth, all the families of the earth. If you dig into the text here, the last uh, verse there that I read, where it says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a couple of things that you can draw out of that that are very interesting uh, when you're talking about this. That word earth right there in the Hebrew is not ha'aretz, which is the word when it says God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. It said ha'aretz is earth. But in here, where it says earth in your scripture, the actual Hebrew word there is Adama, which that is the ground or the dust of the earth. And that is what Adam was created out of. If you remember in the teaching of Bereshit, that Adam, Adam, was created out of Adama, the dust of the earth. And so here in the Hebrew, we see that, okay, all the families of the earth, actually it can be read all the families of Adam. All of mankind is to be blessed by this covenant. And then if you look at that Hebrew word uh, at the end of that phrase, blessed, that the Hebrew word there is nevrahu, which in the middle of that is the root word barach, which means blessed. The rabbis have said that that Hebrew word is very much related to another Hebrew word called mavrik, which means grafted. So it would not be an offense to the scripture if you were to reread that entire phrase in this way, where you would say, in you, all the families of the of Adam, of mankind, shall be grafted. Through the family of Abraham is going to be the way and the means for anyone of all mankind that has been created to be adopted into the family of Abraham, grafted into the covenant that is going to be made with Abraham. So, yes, it's wonderful to say all the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham and his seed. It's a whole other thing to say, no, this what God is doing with Abraham here is that he is making a means for all the people of the earth to be grafted into one family, to be brought into one place, one covenant, one family with one God, with one father. And that is a whole nother blessing in and of itself. Like I said, this speaks to the identity of who we are. Who we are is a person, who we are as according to God, and that we are a part of the family of God through this covenant that God is making with Abraham. So if we read here and uh, continue on, starting at verse 4 of chapter 12, now we'll see exactly what Abram, at the time, that was his name, and what he did with this information. So uh, verse 4, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, that was his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the oak trees of Moreh, 
and the Canaanites were there in the land. Now, this is the place where God is leading him to this land of Canaan. Now, we believe that this is modern day Israel between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, that this was the ancient land of Canaan. And so this is where God led him and told him to depart and go to this land. Why that land? Why the land of Canaan? Well, if you remember from last week's portion, Canaan was a one of the uh, sons of one of the sons of Noah and that through the uh, sin of Ham, his son, that he had uncovered the nakedness of his father, Noah, that there was a curse put on someone. It was a curse that was put on the son of Ham. And if you go back to Genesis chapter nine, where it says Noah awoke and Noah put this curse upon the young, on this son. And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. There was a curse put on the, this people that was the forefathers of all the inhabitants of this land. So if you in one hand. There's a whole other story with Abram going into this land that is not his own. Abram will cross over a river. He will become the first Hebrew, and he will become a stranger in this land. More on that in a sec. But why was he sent to the land of Canaan? Well, if you remember the promise made to Abram, it says, Through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me ask you a question. Are there families in the earth today that are blessed? Are there those that probably had a blessed life existence? They knew God. We, we, we even assume and know there was this other king that's man by the name of Melchizedek that was a priest to the Most High God. There were those that believed in God that probably lived a blessed and prosperous life. There are people in the earth that are blessed, but there are also people in the world that are cursed. And that the whole goal is, all right, if we're going to bless all the families of the earth, one thing I could think of is, well, why didn't Abram get sent on some journey across the world? Why didn't we have all these travels that he would go to all the to far and wide to the corners of the earth and and all these interactions of Abraham speaking this word to all the families of the earth? Well, you got there were probably families of the earth that were blessed, but we are going directly to a place where we know scripturally where the people were cursed. That's what Noah did back just a couple of chapters earlier. There was the land of Canaan. These are the people that need to have their status reversed. These are the people who are cursed that need to then receive the blessing. If we're going to bless all the families of the earth, those that are cursed have to change their curse into a blessing. That's why Abraham was sent to that place. That's why that's, this is the starting point of Abram's journey. And second of all, he was a stranger in that land. This is a foreshadowing to what all of the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Israel, all throughout all generations, this is a foreshadowing of what all of his descendants will experience throughout life. Those of us that here in the modern day that are believers, that have a faith in God, a faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, we are sometimes we feel very much like we're in the minority. We are, there has been persecution of the believers of God for generations and millennia that they have faced persecution. And we have experienced this spiritual concept of being strangers in the land where we dwell. 
on a regular basis. We all have faced that some way, somehow, and that's exactly what all of his descendants will face. They will be strangers in the land of Egypt, all the descendants of Israel, that when they go into slavery. When they wander in the wilderness after deliverance from Egypt, they'll be strangers in that land as well. When they cross over into the promised land, they'll have to dispossess all the people that have already dwelt there, and they were a stranger in that land. Even when if they gain possession of the promised land, the Lord tells them and says, you will do good by the stranger and those who are among you because you were strangers in the land of Egypt and Abraham was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is a primer to teach all the descendants of Abraham to be to do good for his neighbor, regardless of who they are, regardless of what their descendancy is, regardless of their economic status or whether they're blessed or whether they're cursed, that this is a testimony of the believers and those that come after Abraham to minister to all that will need ministering, all that need blessing. And this begins with our father Abram going into the land of Canaan. It's the same thing as Jonah being sent to Nineveh. That these are the people, these are the ones who need to hear the word of God. Jonah was sent to Nineveh to do that. Obviously, the story of Jonah, he didn't want to do that because Nineveh was not a very good place. I guarantee you here at this time, the Canaanites weren't a very good place, weren't a very good group of people as well. They were cursed from all the way from their father Noah. So, this is the job. This is what has to be done. If somebody, it's kind of a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. And God has called this man, Abram, to be the one to do that work. So that is why he's sent to the land of Canaan. And this is be what begins the story of how all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 7 now, the Lord appears to Abraham again. He says this, Abram, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he also appeared to him, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, i.e. on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. It's interesting here that we have this place called Bethel that's called the house of God, and that you already know that he's approaching the area of Jerusalem, the area that we know throughout time and history that God is going to work in this region. Geographically, many of uh, God's promises and covenants have been fulfilled through this region and all of these things that's going on. It's also interesting that he dwells in this place between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai, which sometimes represents uh, destruction. And so he's there right, you know, on the fine line between we have the house of God on one side and destruction on the other. And then we have Abraham being the one who has to dwell in the middle and be the balance between those two things. And that is the uh, that's exactly what all of those that follow after God. And that's what the Messiah himself has to do, stand as the intercessor between us, the people of God and those that would come to do us harm. And so this is a pattern as well that he will always have his people Riding the line, being the intercessor between God and between life and blessing and between curses and death. And that is a choice we all have to make. And that's also a theme throughout all of Torah. What happens here now is also begins another pattern throughout the patriarchs in the life of the family of Abraham is that there will be a famine in the land. Abram will go down to Egypt. Now, there's this interesting interaction between him and with Pharaoh. 
and where he took, goes and, and when he goes down there, he tells his wife, Sarai, to say that she is his sister, which is not exactly untrue because, yes, she was his half sister uh, from the lineage of his family. But he does this so that he might be preserved, that if he says she says that she's his wife, then they will, he'll be hated or he might be killed or she might be taken. Whatever the culture of that day, this was some sort of thing that he said he needed to do. And when it's all said and done, Pharaoh, there'll be a plague that comes upon Pharaoh's house and he will send Abram away from Egypt and he will send him away with a great deal of blessing. And he's like, get, get out of my house. There was a plague that came upon Pharaoh because of this interaction with Abram. And so he will go down into Egypt because of a famine or because of something that might cause his death or destruction like a famine. And then will come up out of Egypt with a great deal of possessions, wealth, gold. This is a pattern throughout all of Scripture that will parallel several times over that even that Isaac will also go down into Egypt at one point in time or that actually, no, I'm sorry, Isaac never left the, the uh, left the land of Canaan. Jacob and his descendants, they will go down into Egypt to be preserved. Basically, also because of a famine and through the story of Joseph, that they will go down into Egypt to survive a famine that would cause their death and then be preserved. And when they come up out of Egypt, that uh, they will plunder the house of Egypt and they will have a great deal of wealth and possessions. This is a pattern that continues on. Also, the Messiah himself, Yeshua, that when he is born, there will be a king that will come to slaughter all of the sons that were born at the time because of the prophecy of, a, of a, the birth of a Messiah. And he will be taken down to Egypt. So something will come again and th- come against him to threaten his life. He will go down into Egypt to have his life preserved as well. So what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. And this, these patterns that we start to see in the story of Abram will parallel many other stories that happen in Scripture. When he comes up out of Egypt with a great deal of wealth, possessions, all of these things, he comes back into the land of Canaan with lots of herds and servants, and he becomes pretty famous in the land of Canaan. It's at this point in time that he has this interaction with his nephew Lot, where he says this, where it's all like, let there be no strife between us. It's almost like the land couldn't hold all the people because Lot received a bunch of these possessions. Abram had a bunch of these possessions. And it's like they didn't want to have this quarreling because there wasn't enough land between all of them to survive. So Lot and Abram separate. They separate amicably. And Lot goes down and he joins up with this group, go down to this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we know what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah because everybody knows that story. Whenever you say Sodom and Gomorrah, we instantly know that this was a place that was judged greatly. And we'll get into that story uh, in next week's portion, I believe. And there we, ha- here we have this split, this split of the house of Abram. That's another pattern. What happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. There will be at times that the whole family of God will need to be divided for one reason or another, whether it's Jacob dividing his family into two companies for the sake of protection against his brother Esau, or whether it is God preserving the family of Israel, dividing it into the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and there being a divide there. Again, another pattern beginning with our father Abraham of his family being split and divided. But there's also something else I'd like to point out here. And this might be maybe a little controversial, but if you really run its course throughout Scripture, this is really kind of a pattern of theme. Let me ask you a question. Should Lot have even been there in the first place? 
Because everything that's going to happen with Lot, because not only is Lot going to be separated here, but then in chapter 14 what's going to happen is Lot's going to get captured because of this big war between Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other uh, kingdoms and cities in that area against another whole series of cities and kingdoms. There's going to be this war. Lot's going to get captured, and all of those possessions are going to be taken. And Abram is going to have to rustle up a bunch of servants, men ready for war, and go and rescue Lot and bring all those possessions and give them back to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is nothing but strife in the life of Abraham that he has to deal with this. What's also going to happen is that God's going to say to Abraham that he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he has to negotiate with God for the life of Sodom and Gomorrah, basically for the life of his nephew Lot. And he negotiates with them. Unfortunately, the terms of the deal still are not good enough to satisfy that God is still going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because he couldn't find ten righteous people in the city. And then what happens to Lot is he then has to flee the city. His wife gets turned into a pillar of salt. And then through uh, through his daughters, he's going to raise up two other kingdoms that will in the future be nothing but heartache against the children of Israel and become these kingdoms that will come against Israel and the descendants of Israel on toward the future. Everything that happens with this man Lot is not good. It's not good for Abram, Abraham. And I asked the question, should he have ever been in the first place? Because if you go back to what God said to Abraham, let me read that first thing that he said. Get yourself out of your country from your family and from your father's house. So why did another member of his family come with him? That's what God said not to do. Get away from your family. You can, of course, take your wife. Your wife is, is, is your companion and, and your, who you're in covenant with. But I would go be so bold as to say Lot was never supposed to be there in the first place. Because nothing but strife and pain for Abram, Abraham and his descendants come from Lot. And this is the, one of the first times that there's this underlying disobedience to not follow God's word exactly. Yes, Abram got out of his country. Yes, he went to the land of Canaan. Yes, the blessing will come. And he says, get away from your family. Well, Lot kind of tagged along. And that became a problem for Abram. It doesn't say that implicitly in the scripture that he, that God forbid that he be there. But when you look and you actually test out the whole theory and the whole story, you can look and see and you have to conclude that Lot was never supposed to be there in the first place. And this will be nothing but pain and heartache for the descendants of Abraham. There's another aspect in our story coming later that I believe also sort of fits that pattern as well. So, continuing on, as I said, chapter 14 goes into how Abram has to go and rescue his nephew Lot, gain all these possessions back then at the end of chapter 14. He meets this man by the name of Melchizedek, which there's many theories as what is who he was. There's theories that Melchizedek was actually Shem, was actually the son of Noah, that was also the great grandfather of Abraham. We don't know that for sure, but he was this king and he was a priest to the Most High God. He blessed Abram at this time and there's and tithes are given in exchange between these men and there's a relationship formed here. And then at the same time, also, it's the, he returns the possessions back to the king of Sodom. 
And Sodom tries to say, oh, take these possessions, take this gold, take these things. And what Abram, being holy to the Lord, he says that he does not take anything, not even the thread to a sandal strap to anything that is yours. I That Abram is not made rich by the possessions of those that are wicked. And that is something that Abram establishes kind of as a boundary that all of his possessions all come from God leading him to a certain place. That it's not because of something. I mean, he doesn't gain wealth and possession by going and rescuing Lot from captivity. Like I said, if, if he did, if he did receive blessing, well, then you could look and make that argument. Well, you know, well, it's a good thing because Lot was there and because what happened with Lot, Abram was still blessed because of that. Well, actually, no, it's like Abram did not gain more material wealth because of what happened with Lot. And I believe also that it creates that boundary and the separation that if you are in covenant with God, God's making covenant with you, that you're not to then, you know, take additional possessions and additional blessings that come along the way because of the interactions that you have with the wicked. No, what one should do when ministering to those who are in need is not to be gained, gain wealth because of that. That's the problem we have with modern day organized religion and televangelists is that their whole job that if they've been called by God to go do what they do, they gain all this wealth from those that are that they minister to. When in true fact, real ministry is you do it without any anticipation of receiving the blessing. You do it because God told you to do it and is leading you to do it. And so that is a pattern here with Abram as well. Now going into Genesis chapter 15, this is where God makes it goes into the language of the covenant with Abraham and also in chapter 17. I could spend hours probably talking about chapter 15 alone or chapter 17 alone, but because our time is short, I do want to hit some of the highlights of what is going on here. And there's a lot of things that's going on with the establishment of this covenant. Let me read here at chapter 15. So that we're all familiar with these words and let's bring out some of the um, some of the amazing nuances of this covenant God is making with Abraham. Chapter 15, after these things, which is after the interactions with Abram or with Lot and having to do that. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. You are exceedingly great reward. See, he just rejected the reward of the wicked that were trying to bless him because of his actions. But no, because of Abram's faith in the Lord, he knows God then reveals, I am your great reward. Very good. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? That was his servant that came with him from Haran. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to number him. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is an amazing, very profound phrase that is said here about Abram at this time. That he believed, even at a time when he has not received the heir, God is giving him the promise, yet he still believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is quoted several times in the New Testament that basically go on and describe truly what the story of God and the teaching of even Yeshua 
that it all began here with our father Abraham. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me first go to Romans uh, chapter 4. And let me bring out something that you might have noticed, might not have noticed, but it is an amazing thing for us in the faith today to make sure that this is well understood. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 9, we have Paul speaking here and talking about the um, believing in God and what is accounted to Abram for righteousness here. Let hear these words right here. Verse 9, Romans chapter 4. Does this blessedness that come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. you got to remember, the covenant of circumcision, which will come in chapter 17, has not happened yet. So Abraham is proving that he can believe in God even without the sign of the covenant yet. Verse 11, back to Romans chapter 4. And he received then the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, who to those who not only are the circum, of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. This is the argument to anybody who talks about certain legalistic ideas that one must be circumcised before they can be included in the family of God. Paul speaking in Romans and Abraham's testimony of believing in the promises of God and being accounted to him for righteousness proves that one does not have to be circumcised to be a part of the family of God. That is what some people have said to in, in teaching in error that the whole sign of circumcision, that that's the, that that's the sign of the covenant. Yes, after the confession of faith has been made. And that all the families of the earth, it can be accounted to them for doing righteousness, even if they are uncircumcised. This is how we can speak to anyone who is still yet to hear the good news or know scripture. But there are people out there in the world, even atheists, even people that never read the scripture, that still go and do righteous things. That still go and do right by people. And that it's not for us to then say they're not of the family of God because they're not circumcised or they don't have the sign of the covenant. Au contraire, righteousness was attributed to Abraham before the sign of circumcision. So we need to get that straight right away, that the covenant can be made and one can profess their faith before all of these other covenant signs be given to people. So that's something we need to understand as well. This, now let me go to uh, Galatians chapter 3. And this is where we learn, and I've kind of said that the gospel message here begins with Abraham, and that's confirmed here in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know 
that only those who are of faith are the are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So here we have, again, the story of the gospel begins here, where the gospel, the good news, is all the families of the earth can be blessed through Abraham. So anybody that wants to go and talk about the testimony and the covenant that we have through Yeshua the Messiah, and they want to set aside the words of Moses and set aside the Torah and the commandments, the New Testament itself testifies to the fact that the whole story of the gospel begins with our father Abraham. Don't you think then it would be to our benefit to know intimately the story and the covenant God made with Abraham so that we might then know the good news? That's why Yeshua is justified in saying, have you believed the words of Moses? You would have believed in me because he wrote of me. And the Torah here as recorded and the story here of Abram is attributed to Moses writing those words and explaining to us that if we don't understand the story of our father Abraham, that we then cannot grasp the story of the gospel, that this is a promise made many years before Yeshua ever walked the earth. And this is another thing to understand about this covenant, and this is the argument against anyone that might say, oh, well, the Old Testament, all of those things are done away with. If you're still in Galatians chapter 3 and move on to verse 14, it says this, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles to Christ Yeshua, that they might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 15, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ or Messiah. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law... It is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. If I'm reading this correctly here, now in Galatians, we're having the proof now that no covenant made after this promise to Abraham annuls the covenant that was made to Abraham. This is the argument that would say that, oh, any covenant that God makes with man, as time goes on, it can be annulled and another covenant is then going to come and replace it. It says right here, no, the covenant made 430 years later with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai did not replace or, or change or annul the covenant made with Abraham. In the same way that the covenant made with David and Jerusalem did not annul the covenant that the children of Israel got from Mount Sinai, neither does the new covenant that Yeshua makes annul any covenant made between God and Abraham, his seed, Israel, and yes, including the Torah made at Mount Sinai. These are everlasting covenants. They build upon one another. God does not change his mind and change his covenant over time. And that is teaching that's coming out of the New Testament. These are the, these are the words of Paul speaking these things. That these things are not annulled and no doesn't make these things of ill effect. And it's all because it begins here with our father Abraham 
believing in the Lord, and it is accounted to him for righteousness. Continuing on back in Genesis chapter 15, some of these words, again, there's, there's so much uh, rich uh, things to all of these words here. Verse 7, it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. That language sounds really familiar. Because that is the same promise that God is also going to give to the children of Israel and says, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, to bring you to the promised land so that you might inherit it. Again, what happens to the fathers happens to the descendants. And Abraham received this promise as well. I have brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans, a place that was well known for being, uh, there's plenty of idols and plenty of worldly things there in that place. No, he brings them up out of that place, and I am giving you this land so that you might inherit it. That problem, promise begins also with Abraham. Verse 8, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, when I first read that, you might think, oh man, Abram, it's like he just, you said you believed God, and then you're sitting there and you're like questioning this? Actually, there's nothing wrong with this statement because what God then does for the whole last half of chapter 15 is then making and cuts a covenant with God. Not only a promise, not only an oath that he would do this, but they then make sacrifice and confirm a covenant that God will has promised this land to Abram. The whole last half of chapter 15 is God proving to Abram that he will inherit this land. And this is the procedure that happens. God says to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought them to him, cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece on opposite side of the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And what he's doing here is he's creating a certain type of covenant. Now, anyone that's studied anything in the ancient Near East with covenants, and some of the, many of you probably have heard a teaching on this, whether it be the Covenant of the Pieces by Rico Cortez or others that talk about the procedure that's happening here is we're going to make a covenant. We're going to have a sacrifice. We're going to divide these pieces in two. And the procedure was this, is that each member of the party making covenant would walk between the pieces and would make some kind of statement to the effect that if I break this covenant, may I end up like these sacrifices divided into pieces. That is the procedure of how this type of ancient covenant was made. <clears throat> and so that is what's going on here. With this sacrifice also, I always thought it interesting that there was no lamb in the course of these sacrifices. I've always liked the simple phrase that the lamb was yet to be provided, that later on God will provide a lamb that will be a sacrifice that is a part of this covenant. But that part of the sacrifice in this covenant is not yet being made here. One other thing that's also interesting, immediately after that it says, when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You look at that and you're like, man, that just seems like this random out of place phrase that is here in the process of this procedure. We're having some holy ceremony taking place. And then, you know, that we have to record this thing where it's like, oh, and the vultures came and tried to do this. And Abram had to had to beat them away. Why is that phrase in there? Well, there's one other part of scripture that that actually parallels almost the exact same phrasing comes from in another part of scripture where it says, and the fowl would come down upon and, and try to partake of something. That comes from Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower, where it talks about Yeshua speaking the parable of the sower, and that seed was cast, and sometimes it was cast onto the ground, and the fowl of the earth would come and eat the seed. 
And in the explanation of the parable of the sower at the end of Mark chapter four, it specifically says the fowl that came and ate the seed was the work of Hasatan coming to try and take the word of God that had been spread throughout the earth and take it away so that seed could not set in and be beneficial to anyone. What we have here also, this is almost the instance where, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we got a talking snake that appears before God that is trying to come against God and man and divide. And here we have some vultures or some fowl coming in trying to prevent this covenant from being made. I believe the parallel and the explanation of the parable of the sower explains the vultures and the fowl coming against this sacrifice being made. Abram had to drive them away. And there are times in our life that when we're making covenant with God, confirming our relationship with him, we have to kind of beat away those that might come against us to prevent us from making that covenant or confirming our relationship with God. And so we're, certain times we look in the scripture and sometimes we find signs of Yeshua hidden in the text in the words. Here, I believe we actually have a small little sign of the enemy, our adversary, Hasatan, attempting to come in and break this covenant. Unfortunately, didn't work. Good for us. Chapter uh, Verse 12 now of chapter 15 Continues on. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be stranger in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come up out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. And the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here we have the prophecy given to Abram by God, speaking of what his descendants will do. And we know this is parallels the children of Israel going down into Egypt becoming slaves, a hard bondage. And this is a promise. This is a part of the covenant. Look, I'm making covenant with you, but I'm not saying that everything's going to be good. There will be struggles and trials and tribulations, which that's what Mitzrayim in Egypt actually means is trials and tribulations. And that's what your descendants will experience when they have to go and dwell in the land of Egypt. And so this is a prophecy. And when we get to the story of Exodus, we'll come back to this promise and show that God fulfilled this as part of the covenant. Now, very interesting here, verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces on the same day that the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the uh, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so this is the, the final wording of the covenant that the whole reason where we're doing this is because God pro has promised this land to the descendants of Abram. Now, let's go back to verse 17. What walked between the pieces? Abram fell into a great deep sleep. Abram did not walk between the pieces. Abram did not fulfill the part of the covenant of walking between the pieces and say, may I be flayed open if I do not keep up the terms of this covenant. No, what we have said and taught and many messianic teachers have said that God himself walked between the pieces and that did so in a way that if 
Abram breaks the covenant that Abram, that God, Yodhe he will pay the price for Abraham. Very interesting here. If you look at that, are there any other time in Scripture in which God is presented and shown to be a smoking oven or a smoking furnace? Of course. You go to Exodus chapter 19, 18, they come to Mount Sinai, the children of Israel do, and you look up on the mountain, and the mountain looked like a smoking, fiery furnace. And the whole thing, and there was no question in anyone's mind, God is on that mountain. yod heh God is on that mountain, and we can see him, and he visually is represented by a smoking oven and a smoking furnace, and that represents God. Let me ask you this. When it says a smoking oven and a burning torch, aren't those two separate things? That there actually was, in my mind, that we say, yes, God walked between the pieces and God would pay the price. But what I can actually see here, literally in the scripture, is that two things walked between the pieces. One, a smoking oven and a smoking furnace. And two, a burning torch. That there was a part of God, that God is always presented in, plural, in a plurality throughout all of scripture. That there was a part of God represented by a burning torch that also walked between the pieces. This is what I believe is the part that stood in for Abram to walk between the pieces and would do this. And this connects, of course, to Yeshua, our Messiah. If you go to Exodus, or uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 62, where we're talking about um, all the prophecies of Isaiah, and my father has just begun a new study on Isaiah, so I'm sure he'll come to this at, at some point in time here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 62, here the verse 1, it reads this, and says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, for Jerusalem's sake I shall not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp or torch that burns. And salvation right there, Hebrew, is Yeshua. And so Yeshua is a lamp and a torch that burns. If you also go to Dan... Daniel chapter 3 at verse 25, we have another story in which there is one that is called the Son of Man that appears in the fiery furnace. This story comes from uh, the three men, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as um, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. I always remember that because of the veggie tales that called them Rackshack and Benny, by the way, of that generation, that that was their nicknames. Those were their uh, Babylonian names. But it's in uh, the story of Daniel chapter 3 where they were told to bow down before a golden idol that was created by Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar's fire with, burned with furry. He lit up an oven, a furnace, seven times hotter than it was supposed to. And he threw them in to the fiery furnace. And it says in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 3, it says, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth was like the Son of God. Who's the son of God again? The Messiah, Yeshua. And so who? And so he appeared in a fiery furnace as a burning lit torch. And what, what can avoid the fires of a furnace? How about something that's already on fire and already can present himself as a burning torch? I believe that that burning torch that passed through the pieces was Yeshua himself presenting himself in that way, physically seeing him as that, and that it was him who was standing instead for Abraham, Abram, to walk between the pieces. Because we know, yes, unfortunately the descendants of Abraham will break the covenant made with God. But God, in the process of cutting this covenant, Yeshua himself walked between the pieces and that he would pay the price 
for Abram and his descendants to sin and break the covenant. That's what happened, and that is why Yeshua and his sacrifice is the culmination and the payment and the sacrifice for the descendants of Abraham breaking the covenant with God. So Yeshua's sacrifice is this ultimate, amazing, perfect sacrifice. We can talk until I'm blue in the face of all the things that it did and confirmed because I think it connects back to the original sin of Adam. I think it connects back to the descendants of Abraham um, the, for breaking the covenant. It also is a pattern and a parallel to all other sacrifices and gifts and offerings that were given in the tabernacle. And so again, it all comes back to that this is a connection to Yeshua himself and why he had to die on that tree was to make sure that this covenant was confirmed with Abram. So again, the covenant that God, that Yeshua confirmed for us because of his crucifixion all comes back to the covenant of Abraham, the good news, so that through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that most definitely is the gospel message that is consistent with the testimony of Yeshua. Now, running a little bit short on time here, but I do want to, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. Chapter 16 is another one of those instances in which I believe that this is another time in which man sometimes tries to fulfill the covenant and the promises that God has made with us. Sometimes when one receives a prophecy or receives a word, they say, um, oh, I have a prophecy that you will have an, an heir from your seed, from your loins, which is the promise made to Abram. So what happens is he starts to get old and it's like, look, he, he's starting to get old. He's not going to be able to father a son. We might have to do something to make sure he has a physical heir. And this is a story that happens with Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant of Sarai, his wife, and that he fathers a child, Ishmael, through this woman. Now, what happens is there is an interaction between God and, and uh, Hagar and that there's a blessing to put upon her, upon her son, that his son, Ishmael, would become a great nation. But we know also into the future that all the descendants of Ishmael will also be enemies to Israel and his descendants. And if they had never took it upon themselves for Abram to attempt to father a son through Hagar, there might be a lot of peace throughout all of the life of Israel. Now, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and the Lord has a great plan for all this, and I'm not going to question the plan that God has, that he still has a plan and a blessing put upon Ishmael, that his descendants will be great as well. And we even believe that many of the modern-day Arab cultures are all descendants of Ishmael as well. And so there's a plan and a purpose to all of it that we might not understand. But if we look back just at the text alone, and we think and hypothesize here, this looks like, you know, Abram and Sarai trying to ensure he has a physical heir without necessarily trusting God that God can still work miracles and provide that son. Later on, of course, that son will be provided in the form of Isaac, who will come and be fathered by Abram through his wife, Sarai. And so here again, like I said, that same thing where sometimes we try to we, we try to do things a little bit outside of God's promise where it's like we think we might know better, just like it was okay that Lot come with Abram into the land of Canaan. Well, actually, that didn't work out so well. And then we think, okay, well, it's okay that, you know, he tried to father a son here, Ishmael. Well, as time went on, that wasn't really a good decision either. So sometimes we have to really trust the Lord that Abraham, yes, his faith was counted for righteousness. But there's sometimes that's not to say that he was perfect in all the things that he did or all the situations that he found himself in. So now we have the sign of the covenant that's given to Abram here in chapter 17. 
Now, this is a huge interchange between God and Abraham speaking to him. This is the chapter in which God will change his name from Abram to Abraham. And that this is one of many types of ceremonies that are associated with the forming of a covenant. There's a huge covenant with God and Abraham being formed here. And we have all these signs all happening that confirm this covenant. Sacrifices are being made. In next week's portion, there'll be a covenant meal that is had between the two of them. In this portion here, we have a covenant being made and a sign of the covenant, a mark and a scar and the sign of circumcision being given to Abraham to confirm this covenant. We also have the change of one's name. We can see many of these different signs and ceremonies associated with covenant. We can see them in a modern day wedding as well. A woman who gets married to a man will change her name to the man's name, and that's another sign and ceremony associated with the covenant of marriage. In the same way, God will change the name of Abram to Abraham as an additional sign of the covenant that God makes with him. This will happen again with Jacob's name being changed to Israel and so forth. There's other uh, situations where names are changed that confirm a covenant made between two parties. So that happens here in chapter 17. Let me go ahead and read here and let's bring out some of this language here and some of these powerful words of this covenant that God is speaking here to Abram here. Abram was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face. God talked to him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I have I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old and among you shall be circumcised, every male in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money or any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and who is uh, bought with money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child that was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born of a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety nine years old, bear a child, ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said, Abraham said to God. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son 
and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall begot twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear with you. And at this set time next year, at this set time next year, that's when Isaac will be born. Then he finished talking to him, and God went up from Abraham. And then what follows here at the end of our Torah portion is the procedure in which Abraham, he was circumcised. His son Ishmael at 13 years old was circumcised, and every man of his household was circumcised. And that will lead us directly into next week's portion. Let me go back now here to this covenant that God is making, this covenant language of being an everlasting covenant between him and his descendants. This is repeated for us again by David. Uh, if you go to First Chronicles chapter 16, this is where we see David confirming this exact same type of covenant, this everlasting covenant with uh, between God and Abraham. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 13, it reads this, O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant. This is another confirmation time and language of the, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob of Israel, King David, is making this proclamation here. The word which he commanded in this covenant being made with Abraham was not just between God and Abraham. It was with his descendants as well. And here it's said in multiple times in Scripture that it is confirmed and the blessings that extend there confirm and go through a thousand generations. Let me tell you something. If you really do a genealogy study, there has not yet been a thousand generations come from Abraham. We've been on the earth eh, kind of a long time, but we're still not even we're not cracking that on coming up to a thousand generations. This covenant that is being made is not just about two parties, but this covenant has an impact upon all that might come after it and who are surrounded by it. It's the same way that we make covenants today in our lives. That when two people get married and form a covenant, that covenant is not just about them. That covenant is the formation of two families coming together in relationship with one another. That covenant is made so that it can be a blessing and a benefit and that even the covenant of life can be bestowed upon another generation after them. That covenant is about the children and the descendants after them. That's something we have to remember is that when covenants are made, it is bigger than just you and God. This is the argument that we might make to somebody who says, you know what, I don't want to deal with the people, the brethren, all the struggles. I'm tired of being a stranger in the land and dealing with a bunch of unbelievers. I just want to go and I just want it to be me and God. Well, you know what, that's wonderful. And there are times when there will be an intimate relationship between you and God. And when it comes to the end of the age, or whether it's just you have to give an account to the Lord, that that will be a time, yes, when it will just be you and God. But as you walk this earth, as you dwell here on this, on this planet and have to deal with these things, and you're in covenant with God, it's not just about you and God. It's about everyone that can be be blessed by your relationship with God. 
And that is what we need to look to and understand when we talk about our relationship and our covenant with God, that it is we do this and we confirm this and we celebrate the holidays and the feasts so that others might be blessed by that relationship. That is the purpose of this covenant. That is the good news that all the families of the earth will be blessed. More people will be blessed because of the covenant that we have with our heavenly father. Here's the other thing. And here is a kind of overarching spiritual lesson that comes from our father Abraham. And let me just put it to you plainly here is that you will know what your calling is. Before you are ready to walk it out. And that is what happened to Abraham. Abraham, when he first departed Haran and came into the land of Canaan, he was 75 years old. The covenant that's being made in chapter 17, it says at the beginning he's 99 years old. And his son is not going to be born until the next year, until he's 100 years old. Abraham waited 25 years from the first sign that God called him to that he was going to make a covenant with him and that through him all the through his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. He didn't have a confirmation that he was even going to have a seed to that to happen until 25 years later. If you want to talk about one of the fruits of the spirit of patience and long suffering, Abraham had it. Because he sat there and he continued to have faith in God and all of these things that happened for 25 years. In this day and age, can you imagine waiting 25 years for anything? We are in a get it done yesterday society that if it's not, if we don't have some sort of confirmation of a decision that we make or a new job, we will quit a job after a week because of the first day or or having struggles. And that we have to look to our father Abraham perhaps for that strength that we need to know that we are in covenant with God. This is a pattern that will continue on throughout all life. God says he's in covenant with us. And he will, but he will not give you the sign of that covenant until a much later time. Sometimes he will call you to a certain task and a job that you are not ready to do yet, that you are not even capable of doing yet. Yet he will at some point throughout your life and through the course of his relationship with you, he will equip you to walk out the covenant that he has made with you. All of this goes back to our father Abraham. You will know what your calling is. You will know the promise that God has given to you. But there will come a time in the Lord's timing that he will allow you to actually walk out that calling and have that be fulfilled. Let that be an encouragement to you. Anybody who's ever had a thought in their in their heart, their soul, their mind that the Lord is leading them somewhere. Trust me. That if that promise was from the Lord, it will happen, but it will happen in the Lord's time and not in yours. If Abraham had to wait 25 years for a son to be born when the first promise was given, then we have to learn to wait for a certain allotment of time before we are ready to walk out the job that we feel we have been called to do. We learn that from our father Abraham. You will know your calling before you are ready to walk it out. God does not choose the most qualified people to be his people and lead the way. What he does is he qualifies those that he has chosen. So what we have to do is if we have been chosen by God, there are times perhaps we have formed a covenant with God, yet the sign and the confirmation of that covenant is not yet to be made. Abraham already knew and he believed in that covenant even before the sign of circumcision was in his flesh from that point on. 
Noah believed in the covenant with God that he would be saved and preserved before he saw the rainbow in the sky. It, your covenant with God is not always going to be a shiny neon sign that you have a covenant. And then you get to then walk out your life in a, in a great and wonderful way. No, what he's looking for in you and God looking to you to be someone who believes in him, his words, walks out the words of his covenant, and then he will give you the sign that he is in covenant with you. Let us remember that pattern. We learn these things and many other things from our father Abraham. What an amazing uh, story that it is. The beginning of the gospel message, the good news, that all families of the earth might be blessed. Yeshua is the pinnacle of the covenant with Abraham. He is the one that leads us to the covenant. God started this covenant with Abraham. Yeshua is just the pinnacle that leads us and guides us to receive those blessings and makes a way for all the Gentiles and all of the earth to receive the blessings and the promises that Abraham received from God. That is the good news. That is the gospel message. And it all begins with our father Abraham. Amen. Let us go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for the stories of old. We thank you for our father Abraham, for choosing him, for we thank you for his faith and his righteousness. To believe the words of the covenant, Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings that you have given to us through all of these things. Father, we love you, we bless you, and thank you. And as we begin this story, Lord, Father, let the stories be new and come alive and be powerful to us in our day-to-day -day lives. May we identify with this covenant that God made with Abraham and with all of these blessings. Lord, we love you, we bless you, and thank you. And encourage us each and every week as we go through the Torah cycle and learn more as we continue with the stories of our father Abraham. We love you, we bless you, and thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. And now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Fachai alam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai Nonten ha Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace.
this into your home. Families will gather all around, singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing Shalom. Put a smile upon your face. He's got the whole world in his hands. Obey his commands, and you will know peace. Shalom. 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 